Welcome to the Money Pot. I am Scarlett Sieber. I am the Chief Strategy and Growth Officer here at Money 2020, and we are coming live from Las Vegas. I am very excited about this conversation. It is one of my favorite topics because I used to work at Bebe Uvea. Latin America has always been front and center for me. Uh, we had the open talent startup competition, so I spent a lot of time down in the region, and I saw fintech booming back then. So it is no secret that fintech investment in the LATAM region has exploded. With over $2.8 billion in investment in Q1 of this year, the region is looking at vast changes as it leapfrogs legacy technologies and has profound effect on the region's populations. I am joined by my guest co-host, Jose Caparoso. From Forbes, Colombia. Hello, Jose. Welcome to the Money Pot. Thank you so much for the invite. We are enjoying Las Vegas and Money 2020. It's incredible. I think that the people around is, is a really good energy and environment. Lovely. And our guest is Cecilia Thomas, who is the Chief Strategy Officer at Dandelion. Chief Strategy Officers in the house. I think maybe we'll talk about strategy today. Sounds good. Thank, Thank you, you for, for being me. here. Thank you for having me. So for this lovely captive audience who's staring at us now, this is a really interesting setup. I can see you looking at me so I can tell how you're reacting. And this is really nice. This is a, my team did a good one with this one right here. Tell us what Dandelion is about, Cecilia. Dandelion is the largest cross-border payments network in the world. Uh, what we focus on is emerging markets, which is very specific to Latin America, uh, Africa, Asia. So we, while we do serve the whole world, uh, one of the areas that we really focus on is areas that have been historically underserved by traditional banking systems. So we, send, we do money transfers to bank accounts, to cash pickup, and to wallets uh, all over the world. And uh, a lot of banks today are waking up to the reality that they need to have alternative payments. They need to consider mobile wallets in order to really, truly penetrate those emerging markets. And that's where we, uh, that's where we excel. Of those emerging markets, you know, I didn't realize we were already online, so the audience got to hear this. But now we're recording live, so that's even better. Um, are there any specific geographies where you've seen greater traction and adoption, and why do you think that that is? So uh, we serve 190 countries and territories, so we're, we're pretty much everywhere where we're allowed to be. Um, and it, I think every country, every region is really different based on the needs of that particular economy. So if you look at Kenya, for example, where they had a strong adoption of mobile wallets uh, with M-Pesa, in 2007, they had 30% bank population. The rest of the economy was mostly cash-based. And today, they have 96% of households who have access to a mobile wallet, which is a significant transformation for financial inclusion. And uh, we ourselves have seen that the transformation of cross-border payments to Kenya has changed. So just in 2019, cross-border payments to Kenya were majorly cash. Uh, today, uh, 49% just in three or four years, 49% of payments that we send to Kenya are to mobile wallets. And I think that's the kind of transformation that we're going to be seeing in Latin America, specifically in Mexico, where 50% of the population is unbanked. Uh, the fintech innovation that's happening there is really focused on driving that inclusion and focusing on those customers who historically have not had access to traditional banking systems. 
And, and that is such a staggering number to sit here and talk about this. We're sitting here at the epicenter of, you know, fintech and that in a country like Mexico, that 50% of the population is still unbanked. When I used to work at BBVA, I don't know the stats now, so this is about seven years old, but you're like, just from what you've said so far, you're stats queen. You're not even looking at paper and this is all in your head. So maybe you know the answer before I even say it. But back then, uh, one in three loans in the country was originated through BBVA. And we were really looking at how to expand that for people who didn't have that. Obviously, even at the time, like Destacame down um, in like in Colombia, no, they're not in Colombia. Destacame was in Chile and um, they, they were using um, the mobile payment, per- like when you pay your electricity, they were using that as data points to say, hey, actually we should open bank accounts and I know they've expanded. So there's a lot that's kind of happening in that area. Why, why do you think that 50% are still unbanked? What are, what are your thoughts there? You have um, regions and remote areas that do not have access to internet. So that's the, the, the main barrier that you have. But also, you have the cash that is the king. Um, the cash have some benefits. For example, you avoid taxes, you avoid security from regulators um, about how many money you move and where you pay and everything. So it, some people see the, the cash as a benefit to do their transactions and to own their money in that way. So what, what role does trust play in that, right? Because you, you, you started talking on the topic of regulators. By the way, it was just down in CDMX a few weeks ago. And in one way, it was quite eerie because seven years later, everything was the same. And then the other way, things were quite different. So back to, you know, cash being king, what is the, how, let's just talk about Mexico for a second. Is there a lack of trust that while they, that's why they feel like cash is still king? Or what do you think is a hesitation to move into becoming, you know, banked more? I mean, obviously the internet, but what else? What is your thoughts on the trust piece? So 90% of transactions in Mexico under $500 are cash only. So that's a significant portion. I think it's more than uh, trust. I think some of it is also having to do with access to banks. Historically, having a bank account is a difficult thing to do. You need ID. You need to go into a bank. It's onerous. A lot of the population in Mexico have historically been excluded from that. And that we see a lot in emerging markets. The other part around cash is that it's difficult to understand the risk of somebody's credit history if they're dealing with cash because there's no trail, there's no, have they been paying their credit card? So it's a significantly different environment in Mexico for a large portion of the population. People do tend to use cash because it's a gray market. They're not having to, you know, taxation and, and other areas that why people choose to continue to do cash, but it's just something that has been accepted, that merchants expect cash. Some A lot of merchants you know, the underbanked includes people and businesses. Businesses can also be underbanked. So they may not have the necessary uh, capabilities to accept a digital payment. So part of the world of fintech in Latin America is not just around mobile wallets and enabling people to participate in the digital economy, but it also includes uh, enabling merchants to be able to embrace e-commerce and embrace digital payments. In Mexico, it has a really interesting environment where companies like OXO or Conecta have created these hybrid environments where people can buy things online and then go somewhere and pay cash. 
because there's such a gap of people not having access to digital wallets and banks. So I think it's a complex issue. It's not just the trust. It's not just the access. Uh, it's that merchants also expect that they're going to have cash. It's a cultural thing where people, everybody just has cash in their pocket. And it's going to be a significant transformation to go from a dominant cash country to then start embracing those digital payments. But I think we're seeing a lot of that happen now. I think people prefer to have those digital payments. Some of it might be a generational thing as well. But you look at a country like India that was a very cash-based economy and the government instituted regulation to create the India stack where everybody had to have a digital ID, uh, creating UPI, which was this ubiquitous payment system that was accessible to merchants and to people and a data platform that enabled consistency of data so that everybody in the country could be a digital citizen. Everybody in the country could participate in the economy, in the digital economy. It has transformed the Indian economy significantly. That's the opportunity that we're seeing in Latin America at its beginning stages. And so I think investors are seeing that happen in Kenya, in India, and they're seeing this massive opportunity in Latin America because they know where this is going. They know there's a lot of opportunity there, and it is a significant transformation for the economy, which is why the government is trying to instill regulation to enable this in a safe way. Jose, so obviously Cecilia just gave, gosh, your stats on your brain. I can't even imagine all the things that's going on in there. I'm jealous. So you're, you know, you come from Forbes, Colombia, but what are you seeing across, you know, as we said before, like it's a, it's a continent, not a country. How are things shifting across the continent? Where are you seeing a lot of interest? Where are you seeing a lot of innovation from a fintech perspective? We are seeing a lot of innovation across Latin America, not just from the fintech entrepreneurs, but also from the traditional banks. Everyone is joining efforts to give, not just to consumers, but also to merchants, the opportunity to manage the digital payments, and give access to some people to the first financial product in their life. You have in Mexico these companies like Clip and Kushki and um, Mercado Pago. They are allowing merchants to receive payments easily. For, for the first time ever, there are a lot of merchants that are receiving the digital payments. So that is a huge step for financial inclusion. So the people uh, can look for, for, for tools and, and now you see the, the unicorns of Mexico like a story that give credit cards and you also have their operations of New Bank um, so Wala is also there so you have a lot of movements of all the players um, to, to give to, 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 to use the innovation uh, as, a, as a tool for give financial cushion to people have you seen, like, across the region, are there some countries who are adopting faster and better? Like, what, it, what are either of you seeing across the region? I think Mexico would probably be the center of the biggest activity. It's one of the largest consumer markets uh, in Latin America, if not the largest. Um, and there is an immense opportunity also because there is this proximity to Mexico being in North America, there is this proximity to the U.S. People are English speaking. Uh, people are, ed- you know, there's a, a high level of education in Mexico. So it's it's it. it there's a lot of opportunity there. But uh, to Jose's point, uh, me- 
Latin America is very integrated, and there's a lot of interplay and connectivity in between the different countries. So what's happening in Mexico is also impacting countries, uh, other countries in Latin America. I could say that also Mexico has a friendly regulation for fintech companies. Um, that has increased not just the operation, but also the transparency and the security for investors on these type of platforms. Um, but you have cross-border operation of some of the ramps. Of course, Latin America is not one thing. Latin America is different countries with different cultures, different regulations, but you have regional brands that are working really similar in different markets. So that's really cool. You talked about Dandelion being across over 190 countries. I'm going to test your data. Um, so how, where are you seeing the biggest movements of money across countries? So you, cause you gave some examples of Kenya, you went into India, just, can you give us a little bit more of where you're seeing trends of that, that money moving? And is there anything more recently that surprised you that we should all be thinking about? Like any, any early indicators in the data that's telling us we should be thinking about you know, some fintechs coming up in those areas potentially? So I think, so India B is the largest cross uh, remittance inbound market in the world. Uh, Mexico is a third, second would be China. Um, and, and it's a little bit more challenging to send money to China. And that's, a, that's something that a lot of people are trying to resolve. Uh, but uh, I thought it was interesting, the remittance actually during COVID, when everyone assumed that perhaps that remittance market was going to be impacted negatively, and that it was going to be reduced, actually remittance to Mexico increased, both in number of transactions and in volume. And there's a couple of things that impacted that. One of them was that uh, people were forced to go digital. So they started descending more transactions because it was more convenient to send. And that speaks to the movement of fintechs in Latin America and, and the diaspora of Latin America. The other thing is that because of wage inflation, uh, people had more to send as well. So it was really interesting to see. We were all bracing for impact when COVID hit and everything shut down. Uh, and a large portion of our of, of our business is cash uh, environments. But we actually saw a lot of people, new people, moving into our digital products uh, and embracing that and increasing the volumes. Another market would be Egypt would be a really interesting one where suddenly we're seeing that a significant uh, inbound market has grown in, in Egypt as well. But uh, I think it really depends on uh, the economy, the market, what's happening, uh, economic crisis, political crisis. It, it's always constantly changing. And so it's something that we have to watch really carefully. Cecilia has mentioned something important because it's not just payments or digital loans. The remittance are really important in Latin America, especially in Mexico. So there is a strong competition for who has the less fees and and giving access to the people to digitalize that, that uh, movement of money. So let's talk about investment for a second, especially I'm curious to hear from, from you on this, Jose. So as I said to you, obviously, I've been, I've been LATAM long for a long time. <laughs> um, and I was back then, there was definitely a gap where the governments were quite active. And so the very early stage uh, startups would get, you know, grants or whatever else, a little bit of seed money. And there was a really big gap around post seed series A. Once they've proven out the traction, then the money, you know, all of a sudden starts coming. How has that investment landscape changed? I mean, I've seen a lot of stuff 
funds that I've known for a long time all of a sudden now having a Latin American team or spending time hiring people down there. How have you seen the investment investment landscape uh, shifting over the last few years across the continent? I can say that there is a boom of investing in Latin America because if you compare even with even in the middle of the winter that we are now of the bear market, um, five years ago there was a small investment in Latin America, less than $1 billion. Now you have $15 billion last year, and this year we are $6.6 billion uh, on VC fund, VC backed startups. So that's good news for the region, of course. We are slower right now because you know the change of the rules in the market, and you have to go for profitability and sustainable uh, business models. But um, there is a growth and there is there are more trust in Latin America now than, than before. So what, what do people get wrong about LATAM? Because I think one of the things that I get very anxious about is when uh, a geography or a subsector becomes hot, then money starts flowing like what what are some of like the misconceptions about the region in fintech that we want to set straight here i can speak to it from a cross-border perspective and yeah. it's kind of connected to the investment piece because there's the investment in the fintechs that are there domestically uh, but there's also the investment that's happening around the world and connecting to these emerging markets and so i think what people have historically gotten wrong is uh, the economic activity was happening in between established markets, right? And I think that was a play that banks made uh, where they knew they didn't have a model that was really as profitable as they wanted to to connect to emerging markets in Latin America. I think they're now seeing this economic activity happening. They want to be a part of it, and they're finding themselves a little left out, and they're realizing that they need to make investments in order to build better connectivity and that's been really the success of dandelion is helping banks and other fintechs connect into these emerging markets where there is significant opportunity i think what they got wrong was just the timing they didn't really get there early enough i think there's a lot of boom a lot of activity a lot of opportunity and i think people are now scrambling to get into into that opportunity but Good for you for going long. <laughs> I wish I wish I had the money back then to actually invest. I'd be I'd be much happier now. I'd still be doing this, but you know, probably uh, probably working a little bit less. Um, when you see the biggest fintech companies from LATAM, what you see is that okay, they just can go big if they are if their operation is focused on LATAM, like Newbank, Mercado Pago, and everything. But now we are seeing a, gener a generation of companies that are going global, yeah, like G-Local, like Koshki, like Ebanks. Uh, so I think that that will be the next step. And that's a myth that we need um, to avoid uh, ahead because Latin America now is the home of global companies. And that's and that's the interesting thing too, is, is when they do go global, where do you see any trends, for lack of a better word, of once they have penetrated the Latin American market, where, where are you seeing it go next? Where, where, where are the companies scaling to? 
Latin America is really similar in to, to, to some countries in Asia and some countries in Africa. So those are countries that have the same problems. And Cecilia can confirm that because she has operations in, in those regions. Mm -hmm. And that, I, I think that is something that nobody was seeing before. But now um, a lot of founders and VCs are looking at that like, like an opportunity to expand their operations. What are you seeing when you, let's put your future glasses on for a minute. I saw someone walking around with the aviators and made me think about that. What, um, what are you most excited about that's coming to the region in short order? Like if we're, we're sitting here and the three of us are having this conversation not too far away, let's say two years from now, how is it, how is the landscape shifted? What are you most excited about? You know, from the Forbes perspective, are you getting pitches all of a sudden from specific types of companies? What's, what's different? I see a trend um, are coming a lot of companies for the Web3, a lot of people working on Web3, and you have crypto unicorns in Latin America already. And also this buy now, pay later thing is something that was existing before in Latin America. Like buy now, pay later was something that you had in Latin America before, just, not, just that you now have it digitalized. So that's a good thing that I see in the future because the adoption is easier for the people. The people know how it works. Now they just have it digitally. And also um, I see that, okay, now we are in this uh, stage where when you will see a lot of companies that will die. Um, but those mistakes will be like a, a, a good, um, like, like a good opportunity to create new companies with those new learnings that you had in the past. Uh, that was something that we didn't have before. What about you, Cecilia? What are you thinking? What are you thinking about? I think Latin America has historically been relegated to Latin America in terms of innovation, in terms of its, it, what it has to offer to the world. So I think uh, in driving this innovation, driving better global connectivity, seeing these fintechs reach a global stage, I think um, Latin America has so much to offer in terms of innovation, in terms of, you know, uh, it, Mexico is a people of people who hustle, right? Like it, it's constantly moving, trying to solve problems. And, and I think bringing that culture into the fintech space that has been predominantly run by businesses in established markets, I think we're going to see a different flavor of innovation, new ideas that are leapfrogging traditional payment systems, traditional banking systems. And I think it's, it's exciting to see that there are new things coming that we don't know yet, but I think it's going to be really changing the world of payments, changing the world of banking. And one more thing that I see is that companies from other industries are becoming fintech companies, offering fintech services and products. Um, for example, um, you have Nowports, that is um, a unicorn from, from, from Mexico, offering financial services, but they were originally just for uh, a, a logistic company. And you also have Rappi, that was a delivery app that offered credit cards and digital wallets. So uh, that's also a trend that makes me uh, really excited about the future. It's almost like someone should write a book about this concept of embedded finance. It, there could be something coming there. I'm just teasing you because I did write a book about it. And this, but it's so interesting. Like, and I, I, 
I get really excited about those exact use cases because for me, it goes back to impact, right? Like how are you actually making people's lives better and more convenient? And naturally, you know, with the Rappi example, there's some really interesting examples in insurance where or like auto insurance, you know a lot about a person if you know how they drive and you're utilizing data and you can actually offer them you know, in, at, the, at the moment that they need it, they get a flat tire instead of having to go traditional way with a, a payday lender, that insurance company could be the one that gives them that short-term loan to fix their tire or whatever else. What other, let's, let's end on that. Um, what other, what other applications towards embedded finance? Because you gave some good examples of companies already. Are there any other ones you'd want to see who are getting more into financial services? Of course, Kavak. Do you know what Kavak is? No. Is the Carvana of Latin America, and now, right now is the most valuable startup in Latin America. It was the first unicorn of Mexico, and now they have a strong operation in fintech. They are offering credits to people to access to access to the first car. So that's a good example of what is happening. That. What about you, Cecilia? Anything that you're seeing? I think along those lines, credit in general is going to be quite transformational. Latin America has not historically done well with credit because it is a risky market and there's areas that haven't really been well served because you don't have the data there. So I think uh, a real innovation in how credit actually happens because in established markets you have a history of people, you have their behavior in their banking And now an innovative new way of using machine learning and technology to be able to understand risk, I think it's going to be something that's very different. Love it. So last, last question before we wrap up, what, what are you most excited about, Cecilia, for, for Dandelion from here? Like where, where's Dandelion going? Sitting there as the chief strategy officer, where, where is your brain telling us we should go? For us, I think it's really connecting the world. That is our goal. We want to be able to connect any channel, any person, any business to each other. And our ambition is to connect everyone everywhere and allow not just ourselves in our own business, but allow financial institutions and fintechs to grow and flourish using our network so that we can deliver that global connectivity. We couldn't do it just ourselves if we went direct to consumer or business, but through Dandelion, anyone with a licensed provider can connect into it. Any fintech in Mexico that's licensed could connect into Dandelion and have as much power as the second largest money transfer company in the world. Cecilia, you have this global perspective. What is your dream as a Latina for Latin America in the fintech space? I think, uh, I think seeing, seeing those solutions that are being developed, I think there are people in established markets who are being left behind, but we don't think about them. There's 80% of people in the U.S. are banked. That's 20% of people we're not looking after, right? So in Latin America, it's, it's a much more severe issue, but the solutions that we create in Latin America are going to be, and in Africa and all of these emerging markets, are actually going to help establish markets as well. And it's going to create significant innovation in how we don't leave people behind. And I think that's a really exciting idea. I think that's where we should end. The uplifting, motivating Cecilia taking over the world. <laughs> uh, that is all Scarlet Zebra for Money 2020 here at the Money Pot Dripping with Honey. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.